You're listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Paul Bhutan on the Calvary Brighton Podcast. That was about maybe a year or so ago. Uh, on Twitter, I saw somebody posted this. They, they posted it and said, attention, are you unhappy with your pastor? And I should say it was nobody from this church that had posted this. But they, they posted and said, are you unhappy with your pastor? Well, then share this post with all your friends. Then bundle up your pastor and send them off. And, and the first to share this post within one week will receive 16,000 pastors to interview. But, they said, if you break this chain, be warned, because the last guy who broke this chain got their old pastor back. Now, I can't prove this, uh, but, but my guess is that perhaps the group that had posted that on Twitter was none other, none other than the Galatians posting it about the Apostle Paul. Because when you think about it, you know, Paul's relationship with the Galatians in, in a word was perplexing. You know, I mean, they had sort of a love-hate relationship, right? I mean, he loved them, but they loved those who hated him. He, he poured out his heart and soul serving them, but they rejected him, and, and they gave their hearts and their souls to those who were persecuting him. And so Paul, in his, in, in his own words, sums up their relationship at the end of verse 20 by saying, I am perplexed about you. And so it's with that kind of emotion as our setting that we now go back and pick it up in verse 11, where Paul now is wondering if it was all for nothing. If, if all his work, if all his effort, if, 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 if all his energy, if it was all for nothing. And so he says in verse 11, I am afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. Now, by the way, let's keep the outline of the book of Galatians in mind. Remember, we shared this in our first couple of studies in Galatians. The outline of the book was, was that the first two chapters were personal. Paul's defending himself. He's, he's sharing his personal testimony. So it was personal. Then the next two chapters were doctrinal. Paul's teaching the, 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 the doctrine of salvation, that salvation was by grace alone and not by works. And then the last two chapters, chapters 5 and 6, were practical. But we're, we're still right now in, in the doctrinal section of the book. And, and yet all of a sudden, here's Paul in the middle of arguing that salvation is by grace alone. And then it's like all of a sudden he's overcome by emotion. And, and suddenly he, he takes a break from preaching. He takes a break from teaching. And he just pours out his heart. It's like he, he just for a moment has like a momentary emotional breakdown. And in verse 11, he just says, you know what? I am afraid that I've labored over you in vain. And so in effect, he's saying, you know what? I've, I've poured out my heart and soul ministering to you people. I, I've risked everything. I've put it all on the line to, to preach the gospel to you. And yet I'm afraid that it's all for nothing because you've thrown it all away by, by, by embracing these false teachers with their false gospel." You see, I think the, the thing that we tend to forget as, as we look at these amazing characters in the Bible, you know, great characters like, like Elijah, for example, who called fire down from heaven, or even Moses who parted the Red Sea, or, or for that matter, the great apostle Paul himself who wrote one-third of the New Testament and even healed people, we, we tend to forget that they, that they were actually human. You know, they were real people with real feelings. You know, James touches on this. In James chapter 5, verse 17, he reminds us that Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was just a man like us, and we tend to forget this. And, we, and so we tend to forget that even Paul had fears and insecurities just like we all do. In fact, speaking of fears and insecurities, it's interesting. I, I ran across a, a nationwide survey that was done this last couple of years 
where they found nationwide that one of the greatest fears that the majority of pastors struggle with nowadays is the fear of insignificance and, and, and this, this, this fear of, of that all their labor and all their work and all their effort to try to make a difference in someone else's life, in the end, it doesn't matter. It was all for nothing. In essence, that's where Paul is. That's what Paul's conveying to the Galatians. In fact, as we read this passage this morning, we, we, we get the very clear sense that Paul clearly felt rejected by the Galatians. In fact, speaking of, uh, of rejection, another survey of 2,000 pastors found that, that 91% of pastors struggle with rejection, feeling rejected by the very people they're trying to serve, by the very people they're trying to help. In fact, another interesting study, uh, this was done just this past year, they found, a scientific study found that the same regions uh, of the human brain light up when you're rejected as they do when you are physically in pain. So in other words, when someone rejects you, it literally hurts, it physically hurts. And we get a sense of, of, of Paul's pain in this passage as he's now wrestling with the fact that the Galatians have rejected him and his ministry and they've replaced him with a cheap substitute known as this group called the Judaizers. These false teachers preaching a false gospel. And so it's with that emotion in mind that now we pick it up in verses 12 and 13 that we now see that Paul's pleading. In fact, he's, he's almost begging the Galatians. Now I say that, because in verse 12, he says, brothers, I entreat you. Let's pause there. Now that word entreat, literally from the Greek language, it can be translated uh, beg or, or plead. He's saying, you know, I'm entreating you. I, I am begging you. I am pleading with you. He goes on and he says, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know that it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And so, we kind of see the human side of the Apostle Paul. Now, what we're seeing here is really uh, the, the missionary's heart, the heart of a missionary. Keep in mind, that's what the Apostle Paul was. He was a missionary. He traveled the world, he preached the gospel wherever he went, and he planted churches here and there and everywhere. He was a missionary. Now, you know, as a missionary, you know, you, you don't go into a foreign culture and, and impose your customs on them, impose your culture on them. You know, you don't come into some foreign culture and demand that they feed you like an in-and-out burger, double-double, animal style. Now, for those of you that know, you know. And for those of you that don't know, please let the ones who don't know know so that they may know. And now that you know, you'll be thankful. Now, by the way, the next time you're at In-N-Out, by the way, make sure you do yourself a favor. Look at the bottom of the cup right around the rim, and you're going to see there's a little scripture verse on the inside. It's a different verse, like every cup, because it's a Christian-owned company. Now, that's my plug for In-N-Out, but after that, you know, look, look as, as an American, and, and, and you go into some foreign culture as a missionary, you know, you don't put your culture on them, your views on them, your, your perspective on them. No, listen, if you want to reach them, then you adapt to their culture, Right? And you, you look at their customs and, and, and their practices and, 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 and you eat the food that, that, that they put before you. And so in the same way, when, when Paul came to these Greek cities, uh, even though he was a Jewish person, he, he doesn't force them to become Jewish to reach them. You know, he, he doesn't force them to, to eat a, a kosher diet, uh, to, to change their clothing styles and, and, to, and to talk like he talks. He doesn't make them like him so that he can reach them. No, he becomes like one of them. 
In fact, we know in, in 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 9, Paul talks about, the, about the, uh, this way. He says, you know what? To the Jew, I became a Jew so that I could win the Jew. To the Gentiles, I became like a Gentile to win the Gentiles. He says, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. And then he sums it all up in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, which, by the way, is my life verse. That's what's tattooed right here, if you, in case you're wondering. But, but he, he sums up this way. He says, I have become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. So I think that's the heart behind what Paul's saying here in, in, in verse 12 when he says, I entreat you become as I am, just as I became as you are. He's saying, listen, you know, just, just like I became like you, I'm, I'm now asking you to become like me. I think there's a little bit of, of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1 in this, where it says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so what does this mean when, when Paul says, become as I am, just, 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 you know, just like I became as you are? Well, I think on the one hand, you know, Paul's saying, you know what? Stop imitating these false teachers and instead follow my example. You know, as, as, as I follow Christ, follow my example. He says, you know what? I served you. I sacrificed for you. I laid down my life for you. Follow that example. But also think perhaps on a, on a practical note, perhaps Paul's also saying, you know what? All I'm asking is, is that just as, as I was fully invested in you, I'm just asking for the same in return. I'm just asking that you care for me as much as I cared for you. And then perhaps in another sense, he's saying, you know what? It's, it's hard to be all things to all people, to, to, to pour out your heart and pour out your soul and, and just give everything you have only to find out it was all for nothing, that they don't feel the same way. You know, that, that it just, it just, it was for no good. You know, it reminds me of a pastor who, who, who retired from, from the ministry, uh, even though he was only in his 30s, and became a funeral director. And somebody asked me, I said, why in the world at such a young age would you retire from being a pastor, you know, to work with dead people, to be a funeral director? He says, hey, listen, when I was a pastor, I worked, I worked for like 10 years trying to straighten out John's marriage, and it never got straightened out. He says, you know what, I, I worked for like, like a year or maybe two years trying to straighten out uh, Mike's drug habit, and his drug habit never got straightened out. I spent three years trying to straighten out Susan's teenager, and he never got straightened out. But now listen, as a funeral director, when I straighten him out, they stay straight. so he, he's pleading with them to, to, to follow his example. As he's loved them, he's, praying, he's pleading with them for them to love him in return. And now with that, verses 14 and 15, he reminds them that he came to them in weakness. When he first showed up, he showed up in a condition of weakness. Verse 14, he says, And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Now from this, by the way, we, we, we conclude that Paul had some kind of an eye condition, some kind of an eye problem. He says, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. In fact, when, when Paul closes this letter, the letter to the Galatians, that's what it was before. It was a book in the Bible. It was a, a letter written to these people. And when he closes the letter, he, he says, notice with what large letters I sign this letter with. 
Now, you know, by the way, it's understood that Paul didn't actually handwrite all his letters. He, he would speak them, he would dictate them, and then someone else, like a secretary, would write them down for him. So he would speak it, they would write down what he was saying, and then, so that people knew it came from Paul, he would sign his signature with his own hand. How do we know? Because he had to write his signature big enough that even he, with his eye condition, could read what he wrote. They're like, yep, we know that came from Paul, because it took like four pages to, to put that signature on there. And so whatever it was, scholars believe that whatever this eye condition was, whatever this disease was, it, it disfigured his face somehow and, and, and left him with like, like a constant condition of eyes that were, were runny and filled with pus. Now we know this, by the way, because historically we have uh, descriptions of the Apostle Paul as being a, a short Jewish man who, who, who was bald and, and had a hooked nose and, 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 and for some reason it was as if he had some form of paralysis on his face. And many believe that the, the, this, this came from having malaria. You see, in the, in the lowlands of this region called Pamphylia, uh, this, this is an area that was mosquito-infested. And, and so as a result, malaria ran rampant in that part of the area. And so it's believed that when Paul was, was in uh, the regions, the lowlands of Pamphylia preaching the gospel, he contracted, he, 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 he got infected with, with malaria, and that led to this, this eye condition. And ultimately, he was driven to the highlands of Galatia where he could recover, where he could get well, where he could kind of dry out, if you would. And so it's believed that he may have never intended to actually go to the regions of, of Galatia to preach the gospel, that he went there as, as, a, as, as a place to heal, as a place to get well. He didn't go there intending to preach the gospel. But you see, the truth is that God used Paul's condition, God used Paul's sickness, he used his disease for God's glory. Because now as Paul is forced to be bedridden, the Galatians, on the other hand, were forced to care for him. And in the process, Paul shares the gospel with them. They received Jesus, and churches were planted in that region. And so Paul had this, this condition. Now, by the way, you know, you got those that are part of the, the name it and claim it group, you know, like, like, like Benny Hinn, you know, receive the Holy Spirit, you know. And so, you know, you, but you have these groups out there and they'll, and they'll tell you things like, you know, it's not God's will for you to be sick. You know, it's, it's, it's not God's will for, for, you, for you to be sick. You know, by his stripes, you were healed. And they'll tell you, if you just have enough faith, you can be healed. And, and so evidently, the Apostle Paul, even though he wrote a third of the New Testament, even though he actually healed others, evidently, Paul didn't have enough faith because he was never healed of this eye condition. This was a permanent uh, condition that he had for the rest of his life. He was never healed from it. Here's the truth. The truth is that God used Paul's condition. God used Paul's illness for God's glory. Reminds us of, of the guy that was born blind back in John chapter 9. Remember the disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, you know, Lord, you know, who sinned? Uh, this, this man's parents or the man himself when he was a baby in his mother's womb? And you have to understand that in that culture, they literally believed that a baby can sin while it's in the womb. In fact, they believed every time your baby kicked inside the mother's womb, that was a form of rebellion. That was a form of sin. Now, they also believed that, that, that it's possible that perhaps the parents, the mom and dad, maybe they, they were involved in some sort of secret sin that nobody but God knew about, and so God chose to punish them by giving them a handicapped child. That was the superstitious ancient belief of that day. And so it's, it's with that in mind that they asked the question, who sinned, this man's parents 
or the baby when he was in the womb? And Jesus answers and says, neither. He says, no one sinned. He says, this was done that the works of God might be displayed in him. It was done for God's glory. Listen to this. Sometimes God chooses to heal people and it is glorious. But you know what? There are many, many other times when God, for whatever reason, chooses not to heal and it can be just as glorious. Think about this. I'm sure you know of many people. I know of of many, many people who have have all sorts of, of, of disabilities and they've never been healed by those disabilities or of those disabilities. And yet God uses them in glorious ways. Listen to this. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9, God says, my power shows up best in weak people. My power shows up best in weak people. Think of this. Nick Vujicic, uh, he has a ministry called Life Without Limbs. Why? Because he was born without fully developed limbs. In, in fact, when he was first born, his own mother refused to hold him when the nurse brought him in. Now, after a while, she, 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 she accepted his condition. In fact, after a while, she understood that, that you know, maybe, maybe God had a plan for this. Maybe this was part of God's plan and purpose for her son. In fact, it was. Because now, Nick has traveled the world preaching the gospel and leading thousands to Christ. Some of you may, may be familiar with Johnny Erickson Tata. And as you know, Johnny Erickson Tata was pr- paralyzed from the neck down at the age of 17 years old in a diving accident. And yet, even though she's paralyzed, she has traveled the world preaching the gospel. She's spoken at hundreds of conferences. She's been on numerous TV shows and radio shows, and she's written numerous books. She, she has used her disability for the glory of God. In fact, she says, quote, The glorious thing is that God's strength shows itself stronger in our moments of weakness. What did that passage say that I read a moment ago? God says, my power shows up best in weak people. And so when Paul showed up in the region of Galatia, it wasn't in strength, it was in weakness. It wasn't in health, it was in sickness. And it was in his weakness that God showed up. Now with that, in verses 16 through 20, now we we discover how to be persistent when your key relationships are so perplexing. And so in verse 16, Paul says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Uh, They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out uh, that that you may make much of them. It's it's good to be made much of for for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children for whom I I am again in, in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish that I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. And, and so Paul is acknowledging that, you know, that at one time, I mean, they received him as if he was an angel from heaven, but now they're treating him like he's an enemy from hell. And we wonder, well, why? What happened? Well, Paul says it's because he told them the truth. He told them the truth, and they didn't want to hear it. Now, again, keep in mind, the context, the, the Judaizers, these false teachers, they were coming along and they were saying, you know what, you know, if you want God to receive you, if you want to receive God's favor in your life, then you receive God's favor by your good works. You know, you've you know, you, you got to try harder, you've got you to gotta do better, you've got to live holier, you've got to offer the right sacrifices. If you do enough good things, God will accept you. And so Paul comes in and he's like, you know what, uh, he, he loved him enough to tell him the truth, and he's like, you know, guys, you know what, that's just not true. 
He listen, he, he's like, you know what? It's, it, it's not true. It doesn't matter how good your works are. Your works will never be good enough to make God like you. He's like, you know, it doesn't matter how holy you try to be. You're never going to be holy enough to get God's favor. Listen, the only way God's going to accept you, the only reason that God will have anything to do with you is because of his grace. Because of his grace. Now, as hard as this is believe, they didn't want to hear what Paul was saying. You see, they, they preferred to hear, you know what, you can do it. They, they preferred to hear some kind of self-empowering message that said, you know what, if you just try hard enough, you can make this happen. You know, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you'll be good enough to win God over. And so they didn't want to hear what Paul was having to say. And as a result, they got angry. They rejected him. You know, and listen, in the same way, maybe you've got someone in your life who, 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 who you know, at one time, they seem like your, 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 your biggest supporter, your greatest advocate. I mean, they, they always had your back. They were always there. And, and then one day, maybe you had to confront them about some sin in their life. You know, maybe, maybe they're, they're unfaithful to their spouse or, or maybe, you know, financially they're, they're dishonest or, or something else is going on. And, and you figure that, you know, you, you've earned the right to be heard in their life. You figure, you know, you've got enough relationship with them that they'll listen to what you have to say. And so you go to them humbly, you go to them as gently as possible, and you confront them about this area in their life. And then all of a sudden, they blow a gasket. They look at you and they're like, they're like wait a minute, I thought we were friends. I mean, after all that we've been through and after all these years that I've supported you and this is how you repay me, you know, that's it. We're done. And they cut you off and, and they disown you. That's the Galatians. You might remember how, 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 what, what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day. He, he, says, he says, now you are seeking to kill me because I told you the truth? And so in the same way, Paul became their enemy because he was telling them the truth. Listen to this. The Bible reminds us in Proverbs 27, verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. See, the Judaizers came in and they were flattering them and they were telling them what they wanted to hear and they were stroking their ego and they're saying, you know what? We think you're good enough and we think you're smart enough and, and doggone it, if you just work harder, you can do this. You can do it in your own power. And they were buying what the Judaizers had to, had to sell. But when Paul showed up, he told them the truth, and they hated him for it. And now in verse 19, Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And so in effect, Paul's saying, listen, you know what? Here you are, and, 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 and you're treating me like, like I'm, I'm your enemy, but I want you to know that, that, that I still view you as my children, as my spiritual children. You know, you're rejecting me, but I want you to know that I'm never going to turn my back against you. And so Paul's taking one, one, of, one of the closest relationships on earth, that is, you know, the, the, the relationship between a, a mother and the baby that she bore. A, a mother and, and a child, you know, that child that you poured every ounce of your heart into, your entire soul into, you, you, pour, you poured every ounce of your being into raising them and nurturing them and raising them into, into adulthood only to one day have that very child as an adult turn their backs on you and reject you and betray you. And so metaphorically, that's the kind of pain that the Apostle Paul, the church planter, is feeling from this church that he birthed, this church that he planted. 
you know, after he poured out his entire soul preaching the gospel to them, after, after he birthed them spiritually, after, after all that he's done for them and, and, and everything that they've been through together, and, and, and now for them to do this. I mean, he, he's just shocked. He's, he's stunned. He's, he's speechless. In fact, in his own words, at the end of verse 20, he says, I am perplexed about you. The word perplexed, it's the Greek word aporomai. It, it, it can be rendered to be puzzled or, or to be confused. But literally in this context, it could be translated this way. It's as if he said, I am at a loss. I literally have no idea what to do with you. Now listen, the odds are, are, are really, really good that, 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 that very, very few of you in this room have ever planted churches like the Apostle Paul has planted churches. But you know what? The odds are even better that almost all of you in this room have felt what he's feeling. You may have never been in his shoes. You may have never planted the churches that he's planted, but you have felt the feelings that he's going through. Listen, most of you in this room know what it feels like to, to be betrayed by a close friend, to have someone in your life, you were always there for them when they needed you, and now all of a sudden, they've turned their back on you. Some of you in this room, you know exactly what it feels like, what Paul's describing. You know, the, the pain to be rejected by your own child that you not only brought into this world, but you brought them up in the ways of the Lord and, and, and you brought them to, to know the Lord and now they've turned their backs on you and on the Lord. And you know how that feels. Let me share with you the words of one such mother, Martina Phillips, a, a self-proclaimed mother of, of a rebellious, uh, wayward adult son that she has not seen in the last four years because of his lifestyle. He, he, has, he has rejected her and cut her off. And so she's filled with questions like this. She says, how does a parent who's prayed daily for her child deal with the rebellion of her child? How does a loving parent accept the rejection of her own offspring? How does a parent keep from giving up hope? What can I say? What can I do? Some of you in this room have asked those very questions. You know what this feels like. Others of you on, on the flip side, you know what it feels like to be rejected and disowned by your own parents. You know, much like the poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Her parents, by the way, disapproved of, of her marriage to Robert Browning so much that, that, they, that they rejected her and disowned her and vowed to never speak to her again. And yet every single week she would write them love letters. Letters, you know, begging for reconciliation, begging for restoration, begging for a relationship again. And so week after week, every week, she, she would write these letters. And so finally, one day, after 10 years of writing these letters, she gets this huge package in the mail. And, and it's from her parents. And she's so excited, she thinks, oh, finally, after 10 years of, of writing these letters, you know, I, I've won them over. Finally, after 10 years, there's going to be a, re a relationship again. There's going to be reconciliation again. So she was excited, and she opened up the box, only to discover to her, 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 her shock, to her dismay, to her, to, to her, her, her brokenhearted uh, sense of being, that inside that box was every single letter that she sent for the last 10 years. Every letter she sent, week after week, every letter was there, and it never had been opened. They just wanted her to know they never opened her letters, and they're not open to having a relationship with her. And some of you know what this is, what this feels like. And so the question is, is how can you be persistent when your key relationships are so perplexing? I mean, how do you keep going? I mean, you know, when, when, when the ones that you care so much for care so little about you. Here's the answer. The answer is that, frankly, you need to care more about what he thinks about you than what 
they think about you. Listen to this. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, in the J.B. Phillips uh, translation, Paul the Apostle says, but as a matter of fact, it matters very little to me what you or, or any man thinks of me. I do not even value my opinion of myself, but that doesn't justify me before God. My only true judge is God himself. And so in effect, the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, don't base your entire life, your entire existence on the opinion of others because frankly, eventually, you're probably gonna fail them. Or, 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 or on the other hand, you know what? The people you value the most, eventually, they're gonna fail you. I mean, the people who, whose opinions mean so much, they mean the world to you, may be the very people who eventually turn their backs on you. But you know what? He never will. He has told you that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has promised that he will be with you always, even until the end of the age. And so quite frankly, the only opinion about you that really matters is his opinion about you. So what is his opinion about you? What are his thoughts concerning you? Well, the psalmist says in Psalm 139, verse 17, how precious are your thoughts about me, O God? They are innumerable. Listen, if you live and die by the opinions of others, then you are are, going to feel like you're dying while you live. But if you live by his opinion of you, now you have something to live for. And what's his opinion of you? His thoughts are precious towards you. They are innumerable. Amen? Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton Podcast. 